Hello, and welcome to Core Sampler, the podcast where we drill into the Sitecore community to bring you insights into the work talented people are doing every day on the Sitecore Experience platform. Whether you're a developer, a marketer, or both, we're glad you're here. And now your host, Derek Dysart. Welcome to Core Sampler. My name is Derek Dysart, and in this episode, we are talking with John Rappel. John is the director of the .NET practice at GeekHive uh, and a fellow Sitecore MVP. I mentioned John a couple episodes back uh, on some kind of often overlooked things that we do in Sitecore. And I, I mentioned a blog series that John has regarding uh, handling page not found. Uh, and uh, in private, John and I kind of went back and forth and talked a little bit about some of the other shortcomings and uh, kind of thought it would make a good episode. So uh, without further ado, enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with John Rappel of GeekHive. John, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, for folks that may not necessarily be familiar with you, kind of, could you give me a little bit of background of kind of how long you've been working with Sitecore and um, kind of how you got uh, got exposed to the platform? Sure, I've been doing Sitecore work for about eight years now. Um, it all started in a conference room, you know, th- that eight years ago, where they asked a room of developers, "Anybody want to learn Sitecore?" And I raised my hand, not knowing anything about the platform. Um, and I look back at that day, and that was one of the defining moments of my career, uh, just raising my hand. So, um, And since then, I mean, I've done dozens of, of projects. Um, I've, I moved to GeekHive. I've been with GeekHive for about five and a half years, and I'm currently uh, the .NET practice lead here. The uh, the other thing that uh, may not be obvious, although I'm I'm aware of this, is you're a fellow Wisconsinite. I mean, GeekHive is a uh, their New York based partner, but um, you're also uh, you're also here in Wisconsin. Yes, GeekHive is very remote friendly. I'm in Green Bay, Wisconsin, about a two and a half hour drive from where you're located. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. For those of you, I guess I, I don't know if I've ever officially kind of noted it on the podcast, but I'm I'm based out of the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. If I go back a couple episodes, I had mentioned a a really good series of blog posts you did on kind of doing friendly error messages in Sitecore. So whether that's a, you know, the, the page not found error or it's the, um, uh, you know, there's some sort of application error. Uh, typically it's a, it's a great opportunity for branding. Uh, most designers want to brand, uh, that, that, that 404 page. Um, and you had a really good, you know, and it's something that's not, not readily apparent of how to accomplish within Sitecore. So you, you had a really good, uh, series that I had linked to. Um, but in, in talking to you, you, you've kind of taken a specialty in looking at some of these, you know, for lack of a better term, inefficiencies uh, around developing on the Sitecore platform. I guess if you, if you were to think of, you know, looking beyond kind of custom friendly errors and so forth, what are what are some other I don't know blind spots uh, for the Sitecore developer as uh, as you know to be aware of as you're kind of getting into projects. I think one of the big ones is the CI/CD process, um, and that would be um, the tooling could be VSTS, which is our preferred choice. Okay, so that's being uh, VSTS's Visual Studio team. Team services. Yes, yes, that's the uh, the Microsoft one, and and for other, you know, just to kind of unpack a, a bit of that too. CI/CD refers to continuous integration, continuous delivery, uh, and this is where your developers, as they check in code, it gets compiled and and, and potentially 
essentially tested and, and uh, several other, other uh, automated processes that run. And then it's also deployed to some sort of uh, integration or testing server. Correct. And historically, the the person that was in charge of sort of administering that and configuring that was your quote unquote DevOps guy who may or may not know how Sitecore works under the hood, but he he or she can promote code. They can promote database changes. They're, they're well-versed in the tooling. Um, and we just kind of found that while that was great, it was, it was a great way to kind of just divvy out work and, and things like that. To, to really get the most out of that CI, CD process, you have to have somebody with uh, a core Sitecore background that understands what are the code changes that are required, what are the database changes that are needed. Um, and when I refer to database changes, that would be anything with serialization um, and packages and things like that. Sure. So it's database being kind of the, the stuff that lives in Sitecore. Um, and then, so it's not, uh, you know, a typical developer may hear database and think of, you know, your SQL server scripts or, or, or what have you. But this is, uh, you know, the, the development artifacts that need to be part of a Sitecore solution, whether your, your, your templates or rendering definitions and so forth. Exactly. And uh, it's great that you, you, you called out templates and renderings because those are fundamentally different types of items. Um, both of wi- uh, all those renderings and templates would live in the master or web database, uh, but they're also lumped in with, um, you know, you have your normal content tree there where your actual website lives. Um, and we, you know, it, it took years of, I should say, yeah, yeah, it was really years of iterations to figure out um, and kind of an aha moment when we realized, you know, why don't we have separate master uh, TDS projects and, you know, it could be TDS or unicorn, uh, but really to separate out those core items, the templates, the renderings, the layouts that are directly, d- directly correspond to your, your views and your code. Um, and those need to be lumped together and they're, they're, they need to be treated differently than, for example, your, your homepage or your about us page. They're just intrinsically different. To get a, a really efficient CI/CD process, it really starts on day one when you're setting up the solution. It's how you structure your solution, how you structure your projects. Um, at Geekhive, we're a TDS shop, um, so this is where we would start defining what items we're going to put in what TDS projects, all with the mindset uh, and the future thinking of how is this going to be deployed to dev, to staging, and uh, even to production. Yeah. Um, and when you set that up properly, that that puts you in a good starting point for when you start looking at your CI/CD process to get the most out of it, to be efficient, to leverage it to its fullest, etc. Yeah, it is definitely something to to get uh, in place early in your in your. Um in your development process, because you know you don't have, uh, you know, there's not a lot there. Um, it's to make sure you've got things in the right place. Because going back after the fact is, you know, it it, it, it can be done, um, but it's it's definitely a lot easier to lay the groundwork and have uh, locations for everything and knowing where it's going to go early on in the project, as opposed to trying to backfill of how are we going to get this to deploy? So, um, and I think, you know, there's been, you know, it's, it's kind of a well-worn path. Uh, you know, I think a lot of folks over the years, especially as the, the tooling has matured, you, you talk about TDS or team development for Sitecore, uh, the hedgehogs kind of TDS classic product, um, 
you know, was, was one that everybody's familiar with. The other one you mentioned, Unicorn, uh, being a, a great, uh, a, a great serialization format for taking that Sitecore data out of, out of the Sitecore database and, and being able to put it into the file system, have that live under source control. But what are some of the, the, the issues, you know, that, that when we're, we were talking about CICD, what are some of the issues you you guys have ran into, and how have you gotten around where you, the the project gets going on? And I, I've heard this over and over that the the as the project grows and you have more and more of those items, and you're doing continuous delivery. So every every check in causes a, a, a deploy out to your integration servers. Now, when you've got thousands of items, that 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 starts to get slow. And I know you've you've kind of done some innovative stuff in that area. Correct. And I, yeah, I had the opportunity to work with Sean Holmesby uh, probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years. He put out Git Delta Deploy, uh, which I caught on to right away. And I knew this was going to be a benefit to us. Um, and he, he kind of laid the framework. Um, and then I started to, to dive into it. I saw how he was leveraging it. And then I, I, I knew like kind of our philosophy. Um, so I made a couple tweaks here and there, and he was very receptive to my changes. So we pushed that out there. It's it's out on NuGet right now, um, and I can even say just the other day I installed the NuGet package and it worked with no configuration changes, which was great. It just was ready to go, install and go. Uh, but what that really does is um, it solves that problem where when you you first let's say you have a CI CD process set up and everything is great. Um, you know, week one, week two of the project, your builds and your releases, primarily your releases are taking, let's say, 10 minutes. And then weeks three, four, five, now you're at 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're starting to deploy thousands and thousands of items. Um, and it's it's just a linear graph of, of time uh, because you're deploying everything and the amount of everything is constantly growing as the project is getting bigger. So what Git Delta Deploy solves is it looks at, um, you can key off of a commit hash or a tag. Uh, We prefer the tag route. And what that does is it looks at anything that changed in the current commit that you're presumably going to build with the previous commit. Um, And it only, it calls the items that are not needed. So your deployment packages for your items is cut down dramatically. Um, After a release, if you, once you have that new delta point, your, your packages are essentially zero. And then as, you know, during your sprint development, if you add a couple of features, you're only talking about a handful of, of new items that need to get deployed. So that, that was a huge time saver that, you know, that really, that, that, that changes that linear graph going upwards to really just a flat line across. And sure pretty consistent deployment times. Yeah, I've been involved in more than one project where, you know, as development goes on and there, you know, there's literally thousands of items that go out, um, you know, you've got a very well-defined template structure that, that, you know, pushing that, that update package out that, you know, you, you TDS will generate an update package and there's, there's tooling to push that out to a server and have it installed. So all of, you know, all of your, your TDS items go out, um, during that deploy. I mean, that, that, that it, it, it's like 20 minutes or more and, you know, you could have a check-in where nobody changed any of the data. It's, you know, that somebody just fixed a bug that existed on a couple of the views and there was maybe, maybe some, you know, some middleware code that got recompiled, uh, but there's actually no database changes yet. You're still paying that tax of having to wait for that package to be completely deployed. So that's, um, that, that definitely seems, I, I could see that taking off, uh, a, a ton of that deploy time. You know, back in the day, I remember there was a few people that tried 
tried to, um, you know, try, tried to kind of, uh, solve this issue. There was, um, there was an open source project, I believe, called Psychor Courier that would take a look and kind of do that same sort of delta analysis between two different Psychor packages. Uh, I remember talking to Jason Burt uh, a few years ago, and I know he had worked that into their CI/CD uh, process. But this seems a, a lot more efficient and kind of built into the tooling almost. Yeah, and that's really what we go for. Internally, we have uh, various templates and things, which soon they're going to be exposed publicly. We're just uh, in the last stages of wrapping that up. But really, it's another thing to point out is that this Git Delta deploy and the whole deployment process of items, we, we try to separate out what are deployment scripts, I guess you'd call them, versus what are things needed for the web project. Um, and historically, a lot of those like little utility scripts and things would just be part of the web project. And then, you know, somebody might ask, well, what is this PowerShell script doing in my web project? It has nothing to do with Sitecore. So we've really tried to strip those out. Those are classified as build and release utilities. Um, and, and that's, that's really what we're, we're aiming for. Um, and one of the, uh, one of the other big leaps, um, really back to, to TDS again, there's really two different ways to do your deployments of items. There's the connector method, which is essentially what everyone uses locally. You you build the solution or you sync items and it uses the connector that's uh, you know a file, uh, a web service in yep. the... Uh, the web root. Yeah, actually when yeah, when you install TDS and it it'll install like a little little Asmx file and the the actual TDS code will communicate with your local uh Sitecore install to um to do all of its serialization. That's yep. that's the connector method. Exactly. And that same method can be used out um, if you're using Visual Studio Online or, or or Jenkins or what have you. That that is available uh but we find that that's that's pretty inefficient um, to have to rebuild every single time to to get your items out there. Um, so we try to follow a build once, deploy many philosophy. Um, but then that brings it with it a new set of challenges. How are you going to get your items out there? Mm-hmm. Um, so thankfully, TDS Classic has this ability to generate update packages. So that solves part of the equation. The second equi- part of the equation is how are we going to get it the items installed. Sure. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, there's only two, well, there's three options. Number one is manually. You yep. can install the package. I've been there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, number two would be Sitecore ship. And number three would be Sitecore package deployer, uh, which was created by Hedgehog. Uh-huh. Um, and we've been through all three of those of, you know, and, and tested to the best of our abilities, which, which work, which doesn't. Um, we finally landed on um, SPD, Sitecore package deployer, um, it, it just does a great job of mimicking that connector method. Um, so whether you're serializing roles um, or you have um, post-deployment actions, all of the things that normally occur with the connector method are mimicked in the update package uh, method with uh, SPD. So okay. that's been our tool of choice. So we can, you know, we have that same build artifact of the items, the update package, and we just, you know, we go down the chain uh, the dev server, the staging server, um, even to production. And how has been, I know early, early versions of that, um, I had customers kind of report back that they saw, you know, they saw timeout issues and stuff. I, I have a feeling a lot of that has been, been addressed at this point. Uh, I would say to some degree, we have done quite a bit of work with SPD internally, um, all of which will be out on GitHub. If, if not right now in the near future, um, and because actually, 
it's funny you mentioned that the timeout issue. Once the, there's a big shift to Azure PaaS, uh, especially for Sitecore 9, mm-hmm. and there is a hard-coded timeout in Azure of five minutes. And when you're doing these installations, they can just randomly time out. Um, and your your installation is actually happening behind the scenes, but you don't know what's happening. Um, so we've built some utilities, actually with the help of Steve Vandenbush um, on our team here, where it reports back a status. So your deployment process goes through, it starts installing the package and you get notifications uh, every you know X number of seconds that says I'm installing this package. This one is done. Now I'm moving on to this one. So that that dramatically helped our shift into the PaaS world. Um, so we got to bring over bring over the same set of tooling. Just had to make a couple couple tweaks. Nice, nice. Yeah, it definitely sounds. It, it, it's been an issue in the past, and I, I think the the Delta deploy cuts down on a lot of it. So you're not stuck, you know, during a 20 minute package deploy. But it's still it still could be an issue that. Um, and I know that the Sequoia package deploy is. Uh, uh, you know, from what you say, it sounds like it's, it, it's addressed a, a lot of the shortcomings in past. Um, I know I had one, I had one client in particular, uh, a, a number of years back had a, somebody that was very advanced and they ended up actually scripting, um, the package install, uh, via PowerShell, uh, by instrumenting, uh, by making actual web requests to the update installation wizard. So they did it, you know, quote unquote manually by, uh, instrumenting and running a, a series of web requests against the, the actual interface that you would do it manually on, which I, I, I seem to, you know, at, at the time, like, ah, that's pretty novel. Um, but it's also, you know, if you've, if you've done any update package installation, um, that, interface has changed. Um, it's changed, um, in subtle ways over the years, uh, and over the versions, you know, one of the ones that I, I know came in, in 8.2 is it will detect, um, changes to, to base config files. So that, that might not be, you know, th- their approach may not have, have been worked, but I, I, I also found that kind of a novel approach. Um, although a bit on the advanced side, um, I, I don't know, uh, I don't know if it's something I would undertake, but this person, you know, did, did pretty well at, at scripting against the update installation wizard. Yeah. I mean, that, that touches on a great point. Um, really anywhere you're trying to, to solve for an inefficiency, kind of the first thing that you, you need to ask yourself is, does something already exist that solves this problem? And in, in what we were just talking about with SPD, it, it solved the problem out of the box. Um, and then just the way we work, we, we needed to tweak it a little bit. And I think that philosophy is is the same philosophy that you take for for many inefficiencies, uh, especially in Sitecore. Uh, like you mentioned, the custom errors. Like mm-hmm. there was ten different approaches for how to do custom errors. They all, you know, the end result to the to a client viewing the website is was probably the same. Yep. You, you still get the four hundred four status and everything, um, but it was really just a matter of how can we make this simple, you know, instead of spending, you know, having a ticket on every project, four hours to set up error pages and things like that. Is there, are we doing some of the same things over and over again? And then can we make that generic enough that ideally we can make it a NuGet package? Uh, that that's really like tier number one, uh, with a lot of these inefficiencies, if we can make it a NuGet package, mm-hmm. you know, that, that just takes a minute to install, and ideally, there's not even any configuration after that. It's just done. Yeah, it's there. I'm reminded of uh, Camp's Dianoga. Yeah. Um, you know, it's install it and you can change it if you want, but it's basically ready to go. 
Yeah, and that's I, there's definitely I've uh, had a customer where we were we we had talked about it. Uh, we had talked about putting diagnogan. And for those of you, I, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to the episode I, I had with Cam, where we kind of talked about uh, Dianoga. But it's a uh, it's an image optimization service. So if you upload a, a, a PNG or or some other uh, image, PNGs seem to be the one that get the most bang for the buck. But you can you can have it uh, address uh, PNG files as well as SVGs. Um, behind the scenes, it will transparently optimize that. image. Image, so run it through optimization tools. Um, and the, this customer I was working with, we had talked about it early on in the project, and then we had thought we had put it in place. And um, and later on, we're like, hey, we should we should enable that, make sure it's working and testing it. And we had a, we had installed it and and had forgotten about it, and it had been running in place with like just quietly doing its job with no input from anyone else. Uh, and that that project itself is kind of the definition of fire and forget: is you put it in place and it just takes care of everything. At the time, I think we ended up finding one issue with the defaults of. Um, how it was optimizing SVGs because all of a sudden we we had a we had an SVG logo on one of the sites and the the optimization tool was combining a couple of the paths and it made the logo look funny um, and that was that was actually what tipped us off to the fact that we were running Diagnoga because it, everybody had completely forgot we had put it in place so it was um it was it was just a minor issue we changed the settings on the the, the command line that Dianoga used to shell out to its its SVG optimizer. It uh, no longer was concatenating paths and so forth, and the logo looked fine, and it went about its merry way. Yeah, and and that's key. What you just you hit on, you know, it's creating these these modules or this code, the code snippets, GitHub repositories, what have you, that they they get the job done, and then number one, they're documented very well. And number two, they're built in a way that are that makes it extensible. Um, I myself uh, modified Dianoga to use Image Magic, and I've done a. It, it does some some cool things, um, but it's also in the, that set it and forget it mentality. Uh, but I was only able to do that because when Cam created it initially, he built it in a way where you could just kind of plug your own stuff in there, really in the Sitecore way. Like here's mm-hmm. your config file add your own stuff in the config file and the rest of it is figured out. That's really the approach um, for a lot of these inefficiencies, you know, show people exactly what you did. Be, be very transparent and honest so that if they don't like it, they, they can choose not to use it. But if they need to extend it, they see exactly where the different extension points are. Yeah. I mean, and just even going forward further with that, that example, I mean, he's not, uh, it, it, a lot of folks may be, you know, they want to they want to optimize images, so they want to pull in all these libraries and write some code that does that. If you look at behind the scenes, what Dianoga is doing, it's shelling out and running commonly used image optimization tools. So they're just command line tools. They get installed when you pull in the NuGet package. The tool uh, plugs into a, the appropriate Sitecore pipeline and actually runs the images on the disk through these command line tools. So, for example, Dianoga existed well before the adoption of SVG images, um, but it was trivial for for Cam to integrate in an SVG optimization tool. If there was a, a, another image format that came along that you know could benefit from this, it, it would be again trivial to bring that in. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned you're able to switch out and use a, a different image optimization tool. Um, and that's all there. So it's, it's, it's 
you know, when you, when you do this is making sure, you know, you're, you're finding stuff that already exists and finding an elegant way to integrate it into Sitecore. So you're not necessarily reinventing the wheel. Exactly. And if it, you know, if you find a case where something doesn't exist or you're not satisfied with it, make it public. You know, what's, what's the worst that could happen? You know, people don't download it. They don't use it. You know, so be it. If it gets, if it works for you, great, put it out there. You can use it internally on your team. You know, you guys can benefit. Uh, but if, if there is a need in the community, my, my default answer is always put it out there. You know, you could run into a case where somebody else in the community picks it up and says, Hey, I, I can make this even better. Back to the case of, of get Delta deploy. You know, I, I saw it, I liked what was there, but you know, I, I felt like I could make it just a little bit better and other people benefit from it, not just, you know, me or, or, or our team. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, that, that it, that's, it bears repeating. Uh, you know, I don't think it's, it's, it, it's nice that in the Sitecore community, that seems to be the default mentality of, you know, I, I, I've created this cool tool. Let's, let's share that. Let's, let's share this out and get input in. Um, so there seems to be, you know, that, that, kind of mentality that you see common in open source projects has kind of come towards a lot of this tooling has been, um, you know, a lot of folks open source the tooling that that makes developing on Sitecore a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. And I know you've been around um, long enough to know back in the early days. I mean, obviously none of this existed. Um, it was kind of a, a, I wouldn't say it was a closed community. It was just harder to find blog posts, harder to find these types of modules and things, these, uh, these life improvement type type things. So we're definitely in a great age right now where, you know, it, it is trivial to, to make images better for the end client. That wasn't always the case. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it was just even, I, I would liken it to, you know, there was a whole bunch of us trying to figure this stuff out and the, the rise of the Sitecore community was, you know, the, I think born out of that frustration of like, how does this work? I just spent, you know, three days decompiling all these, these DLLs to understand how this works so I could get it to do this one thing. Let me, let me share this with the world. And that, that attitude has, you know, has, has flourished and it's, um, you know, I, I don't think I'd be remiss. I can't speak for Sitecore, but I, I think they would recognize, you know, they fully recognize the, the, the value of the community doing that, that level of work. It's, you know, they're, they're focused on doing that product and, you know, you can gripe on if the documentation should cover that or not, but, you know, no documentation team has time to document every single corner and edge case. So it's, um, the community has definitely stepped up in, in doing so. Yeah, and definitely. And and sometimes you just need a, a different perspective. It, it could be a similar solution to a problem, but just worded in a, a different way um, that might, you know, get across the community just the slightest bit better. Um, so, you know, it never hurts to, again, get your name out there, get your get your thoughts out on a blog or, or wherever, um, because, you know, I, I find myself sometimes Googling something and finding my own blog posts. Uh, where I covered it, uh, where I hadn't even remembered I wrote it. Um, so, you know, there are certainly benefits to, to doing that. Yeah, there certainly is value in, in having your blog just as kind of your own personal bookmark system. But I think, you know, just to write on a, a point you made, you know, even if you think this has been covered over and over and over, 
putting your little spin on it may help somebody else uh, down the road to understand a concept that you know may be hard for them to unpack, and maybe your approach to it um, you know may indeed help. So I, I, I stand with you in, in in saying that you know definitely try and get your. Uh, Get your ideas out there. Make sure that they're public. It's you know sharing is caring, as uh, as some folks like to like to say. But it's um, you know definitely get your stuff out there. Mm-hmm. So looking, kind of looking back at some of the other efficiencies. What are what are some of the other kind of uh, you know is there like another area you've kind of seen and, and and gone through and, and kind of updated uh, in terms of you know what we we end up doing this on every project we really should put a process around this or potentially come up with something um, are there any other areas yeah definitely so I think the another big area would be just general project setup um, and uh, Mark Cassidy put out a tweet recently which I thought was kind of funny you know how long it takes to get set up for a project um, and there was various replies. Uh, of four hours, one hour, four days. Um, (laughs) You know, it's really, it was across the board. Um, And I I very much felt those pains. And that is, that's something that I want to look at. Um, I think there's a lot of really good, uh, a lot of good tools out there that could make this a lot better. I mean, there's Sitecore Instance Manager. uh, There's there's SIF provided by Sitecore. uh, But I, I feel like Docker has a big hand in this, in that solution. That's really something that's top of mind right now at, at GeekHive uh, that I'm exploring, that uh, members of our team are exploring to, to make it better. Um, and really with a lot of these inefficiencies, um, it, you know, if for people that work at, at agencies that might have, you know, a lot of ongoing projects and have new projects come up, you know, every month or two, it's all you have to think about, like, how are we going to retrofit something into a current project? Because otherwise you fall into this trap of you, you create something really cool, but then you don't get to really benefit from it until the next project comes in. Um, and then your older projects suffer. So that's, that's always something that I consider. And, and uh, many of the, the pieces, the tooling that we've talked about, Dianoga, the custom errors, um, even a lot of the VSS stuff um, or just CI, CD stuff in general is retrofittable. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, it remains to be seen if that same concept uh, can be applied to some project setup because it's really across the board for us, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, you look at like you mentioned SIF or the Sitecore installation framework, and there's been there's been some efforts to backport that, if you will, to you know it's a it's a version nine only uh, framework, uh, and there has been efforts to to bring that back to earlier versions. So it's it's you know it's. Is something definitely front of mind, um, and it's and it has been interesting. It's um, the the community has kind of looked at what is going on in the general general development community and general .net development community. You mentioned Docker. Docker has become very influential in, in other development processes and looking at how does that how does that play in the Sitecore world. You know, Sitecore itself, from an architectural standpoint, is 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 been embracing kind of the, the the microservices framework and and breaking stuff out into you know you look at something like the publishing service and you look at like XConnect and all that of of no longer is there this big monolithic application. So it's just it, it's it's always interesting to see kind of this uh, stuff that you would uh, you you know a lot of people might not consider on the forefront of of development technology, but from a from a Sitecore standpoint, it might be it you know it might be something that um 
you know, because it's always it's always a case of how do how do we fit this into the overall picture of Sitecore? Um, and I know internally at Sitecore, there's you know you look at you know something like JSS, uh, the JavaScript services. There's you know there was this growing growing need for kind of uh, folks having non-traditional front ends, uh, but they're still web-based. So they they really dug into uh, and built out the ability to consume Sitecore and, and still have that you know good Sitecore experience uh, in a in a JavaScript framework. And, and then be able to provide for that. So it's, it's definitely an exciting time. It's, it's definitely not all the problems are solved. There's still very interesting problems out there. Yeah. And you uh, just really in, in some of your, your name drops, you, you pointed out something else that maybe may not be so obvious. And that is that, you know, in the past that you could be a Sitecore developer, you, you know how to set up a site in IIS on a windows machine and, and you, you know, you could do just fine. Uh, but nowadays it's, there's really a lot of different technologies that you don't need to know, but you need to know of, um, mm-hmm. and you need to know how to find the resources to help you get past something. JSS is a perfect example of that. Um, you don't need to be an expert in it, but you need to know, you know, how to work in it. You know, if, if the need arises, um, that, that definitely is a, a pretty stark change. I think over the, I'd say maybe the past five years, uh, where you really, to, to be efficient and, and really to find a lot of these inefficiencies, you need to know what tools are available so that you can, you know, propose it as a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely a fun time to be a Sitecore developer. Yeah. Well, so with that, I think we'll kind of end on that note, John, it's been a, it's been a great conversation where if, if folks want to kind of find out more about you and the, and the work that you're up to, where, where's a good place to find you online? The best place would be my website, sitecorerap.wordpress.com. That uh, has links to my Slack. I have a post on Geekhive website as well, uh, but you can find pretty much all you need there. So Great, great. And we'll get links to that in the show notes. And I, I definitely uh, will link up to a lot of this stuff. You know, we covered a lot of ground in this and, and, and definitely look at the show notes. Um, there'll be there'll be links out to uh, a lot of the stuff that we had talked about. Um, John, thanks, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for listening in, and whether it's on your commuter at home or while you're doing the dishes or, you know, trying to avoid some work during the day. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Core Sampler. To see show notes from this and past episodes, please visit coresampler.fm. There you can also subscribe to this podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. If you liked what you heard today, please tell a friend and then go to iTunes to rate and comment on our show. Even if you're using a different app to listen to us, those ratings and reviews really do help others find us. Are you a professional working with Sitecore and interested in joining the show? Or would you like to leave some feedback directly? We want to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at coresampler.fm. That is all for this episode of Core Sampler. We'll see you next time.